We'll be talking about unity in the body of Christ. Ephesians is one of my favorite books in the Bible, so much so that I recommend it to new believers to read first along with the Gospel of John. It's a book that's split in half with three chapters of doctrine, the why and the how of salvation, followed by the last three chapters, the do of salvation. Paul's inspired writing gives us guidance on the practical application of our faith and how we are to apply that faith in a communal way with other believers to build up unity in the body. Not a lockstep uniformity of sameness, but true unity in the midst of diversity, background, race, culture, and even class. The bride of Christ is the church. We are the bride of Christ, right? And much like marriage, it takes work. There's going to be issues. There's going to be things to deal with. There's going to be communication misunderstandings, right? I remember reading one time that Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, was asked, in 60 years of marriage, did you ever consider divorce? And she quipped back right away, Murder, yes. Divorce, no. (laughs) I know it's funny. We shouldn't be thinking about murder. But when it comes to our brothers and sisters in Christ, divorce should be out of the question. Amen? When it comes to disagreements, start with the no divorce benchmark and work from there. So let's start with verse 1. Paul, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This verse about walking in a manner that is worthy is mirrored in uh, Colossians 1.10. It's also mentioned in Philippians 2.12. Many of you heard this verse. Walk out your own salvation with fear and trembling, right? These three books, along with the book of Philemon, are called the prison epistles that were written by Paul while awaiting a hearing before Caesar in Rome. The more you study the New Testament, especially Paul's letters, you'll start to see a divinely inspired repetition that confirms God's plan for the church that does not vary by culture or allow worldly behaviors in the church because of their divisiveness. The enemy looks to divide, but Paul always taught and sought commonality. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We are new, different. I think the Bible even says we're a little peculiar, right? What should that look like? So let's start with verse 4 that gives us four traits. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love. Humility is defined by Paul here in the Greek as lowly and listed first and needed most because without it, The rest are, in my opinion, unobtainable. Gentleness is defined from the Greek as meekness, not a weakness. It means power under control. I never like to say a horse is broken. That's why a 150-pound rider can maintain and and wield a horse that's 1,200 pounds because the horse allows it. He's trained. Patience, uh, patience, let's see, this means uh, patience is defined from the Greek as long-suffering, having unending patience with those around us. Yes, everybody, right? And lastly, bearing with each other in love. Agape in the Greek. Greek. This is an unconditional love that can only be achieved supernaturally. Look closely at these lists of four things and you'll see that they are the attributes of Jesus. As I was studying through this, I was thinking about the yoke in biblical times 
when they had a, a young bull or oxen to get ready to plow, they would use a double, double yoke with an older oxen that was highly experienced. And they would yoke them together so the older oxen could train him at what speed to plow at and could also bear some of his burden when he got wore out. And I thought about this in Matthew 11. Jesus said, I am lowly, meaning humble, gentle in heart, meaning power under control. Take my yoke upon you, meaning I will be patient with you. And learn from me, meaning I will teach and love and care for you. And this leads to the first fill-in on A. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So the Lord institutes it. We must work hard to keep it. Amen? The Greek word that Paul used for bond in the bond of peace is ligaments. This is the fibrous tissue that serves to hold structures in a body together and keep it stable. It's interesting to think how fitting this is, pun intended. Like a human body, we are bound together not rigidly, but in a bendable, flexible way. But only bendable up to a certain point. When we go past that point, say a joint's limitations, there's damage from hyperextension. We need to rely heavily on prayer, the fruit of the Spirit, and the Prince of Peace to maintain and keep unity. I was thinking about, as I studied through this also, a common enemy may draw people together, but it will not keep them together. My mom and dad grew up during World War II, and, and dad talked about you couldn't buy any meat, you couldn't buy a new car, antifreeze, tires, there's all kinds of things you couldn't purchase. But in the midst of that, people pulled together. They did scrap metal drives, they did victory gardens, they worked together against a common enemy, the Axis powers. But it didn't last, did it? And many of you remember 9-11. After that happened, we had a common enemy. We pulled together. We started coming outside of our houses, talking to our neighbors. We enjoyed a season of, of unity. But it was against a common enemy. It didn't last. There's only one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to his measure of Christ's gift. Four beautiful verses of believers being called to oneness. Not a loss of our individual self, but a sharing of it by having that one thing in common, the true thing, Jesus Christ. Amen? 1 Peter 4.10 says that each, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another and as good stewards of God's varied grace. Oddly enough, spiritual gifts have been taught by Pastor Tim at the pulpit in the Blueprints class and the men's Bible study at almost the same time, and not by human design. Paul referenced the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, but he made note in chapter 13 that the most important gift is love, because without it, the gifts won't be used for their intended purposes. Gifts were given to you for me, and gifts were given to me for you. We need each other. Amen? So we're going to go down to verse 14. 
so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. In James 1.6 it says that because of one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. So how do we keep from doubting? We need to know the teacher and we need to know the teaching, the Bible, right? Verse 15. Rather speaking the truth in love We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, with which is it equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And that's our next fill-in. God's word and a community of believers help protect us from error. I broke my ankle about a year and a half ago and had surgery done. And when I went to see the therapist, the first time he watched me walk, he stood behind me and watched me walk at him and walk away. And he looked at me and said, you're cheating. I said, I'm not cheating. This hurts pretty bad. He said, what you're doing is called avoidance behavior. I said, what is that? He said, you reach a threshold where the pain keeps you from fully applying yourself to the therapy and without pushing past it, you could take up to twice as long to be healed and actually suffer more pain in the long run. By holding back on doing the right thing, you'll probably suffer for a longer period of time. I think that just spoke to somebody here today. I started to realize how much I was doing this, not taking his advice, because my knee started giving me a lot of trouble. I had to be intentional about walking correctly and using all the parts together in unison, even in the midst of the pain, to be fully healed again. And due to solid advice from a good therapist, along with finally following it, I completed therapy ahead of schedule. It's kind of funny how that works, isn't it? Paul's going to talk about the new life in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Sometimes what not to do can be as important as what to do. Paul is referencing walking again, but on the wrong path. The same warning is described in Romans 1 of those who know there's a God but deny him, so he gives them over to a reprobate mind. Paul talked about those whose consciences were seared in 1 Timothy 4. They were unable to feel because their sense of right and wrong had dulled from repeated sin and a false belief system. An event is different than a pattern. We are prone to make mistakes, but if there is a repetition of sin in your life, get some accountability. Science boils down to observation and journaling. Be a a scientist in respect to your thoughts and actions and journal these things down and start to become aware of them. Verse 20. 
But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. I could probably stop right there. Where's the truth? In Jesus. As the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. As I read that, I thought about Romans 12:2, a verse that I love. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Who changes us? God. God changes us. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I thought about it. I think this is a Charles Spurgeon quote. I thought about this when I was studying through this. I couldn't find the quote, and I'm going to preface it, but it said, I believe he said, it's not so much getting the good things into a man, it's getting the bad things out of him. That really spoke to me. Verse 24, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Your next fill in there, C. A change of pace reflects a change of heart. What do we have to be? Fruit inspectors in ourselves, especially. Verse 25, therefore, having put, on, put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. That sounds familiar. I think that's verse 15. I'm going to go back. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Who are our neighbors? Those closest to us, right? Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. I think some translations say, don't give the devil a foothold. The old saying, give him an inch and he'll take a mile. You know the rest of that one, right? So I was thinking about this old stories I read through this about what God does in our hearts and our partnership with him to restrain ourselves. And uh, there was a, a, a wealthy man who had a carpenter who worked, in, worked for him for many years. They did home improvements, they built houses, they built subdivisions. And this carpenter was spot on. He was an expert. And this uh, wealthy man used him for years and years. And finally, the wealthy man called the carpenter into the office and said, I'm going to take my wife on a world tour. We're going to travel for about a year, year and a half. And I have the plans and the funds set out for you right here. I want you to build me a retirement home. I have all the plans set out and every, every penny that you're going to need to do this home. So the carpenter accepted the, the job. The wealthy man went on the tour around the world. He's gone for about a year and a half or so. And in the meantime... The carpenter laid the plans out as he prepared to build the house, and a thought occurred to him. This guy is pretty old. He's probably going to only last about 10 years. If I build the house to make it beautiful on the outside, and all the rooms and all the house on the outside is magnificent, and I use subpar materials all throughout the house, I could pocket a whole bunch of this money. So what he did was he built this house. He was such a good carpenter that on the exterior of the house was perfect. It was beautiful. But inside the walls, inferior wood, 
thin concrete, poor wiring, all the, you know, everything was lower grade that he did not see. So the wealthy man came back, and he took him through a tour of the house with his wife, and the wealthy man was completely oppressed because the house was just, it was immaculate, it was beautiful. As he walked through the house, and they got finished with the tour, and the wealthy man turned to him and said, this is an amazing, beautiful home. And the carpenter said, thank you. So the wealthy man took and handed in the keys and said, here's your home. Thank you for all your good years of service to me, right? <laughs> so building, just by appearance on the outside, we can't tell what's on the inside, right? And this next verse ties right in with that story. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Most all thieves steal for their own welfare. A study done showed people who shoplift are often characterized as unorganized, unreliable, unfriendly, and antisocial. Theft is a symptom of a heart issue. When the, head starts to, when the heart starts to change, the behavior does too. This applies to a lot more than theft. Anybody? I watched a podcast a while back where they were talking to this guy and he said, I didn't realize I was an alcoholic until I quit drinking. That really hit home for me. He said alcohol was not the root, it was only a symptom. He had to work on why he drank, the internal reason. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, profane, vulgar, or obscene, but only such as in good for the building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Oh, this one hit me hard. When I first came to the Lord about 20 years ago, I was at a men's group, and I, had, I prayed with this pastor, and he took smoking, smoking cigarettes for 30 years. He took it out of me just like that. I went home, and I told my wife, I'm done. And I was feeling pretty smug about myself for a couple weeks. And then uh, being in the shops for about 35 years and being a former Marine, um, my language can make a sailor blush, as they say. And I suddenly realized the Lord was speaking to me, not audibly, but he was like, you need to clean up your mouth. And it was very hard for me to be intentional about that, especially in the shop. And as I worked on this, restraining myself, eventually it went away. And eventually God was working in my heart and my mind. As it says, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what's already in there. And out of the wellspring of the heart, the mouth speaks. And eventually, it went away. And then I started to realize, realize something else. All the guys that I worked with in the shop, I was having an influence. They started doing the same thing. So I hope the inside was changing too, but I could definitely see the outside changing. God worked in my heart and my mind and took that from me. I praise him for that. Verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. And I love that the Greek word that Paul used there, sealed is the guarantee. Or the new Greek is engaged to be married. I like that one even better. You are sealed for the day of redemption. So Paul already told us how we grieve the Holy Spirit. By living like pagans, that's verse 17 to 19. By lying, verse 25. By being angry, verse 26. By stealing, verse 28. By being bitter, coming up in verse 31 by being unforgiving, verse 32, 
and by being sexually immoral. And that's Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 5. To grieve the spirit is to act out in a sinful manner, whether it is in thought only or in both thought and deed. I just want to make sure and say that this is not the same thing as blaspheming the Holy Spirit. We as believers are still capable of sin, and it grieves the Spirit. In a sense, it brings sorrow, sorrow or disappoints Him. I do want to caution you about something I mentioned earlier. earlier. Events versus patterns. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Paul is using the affirmation sandwich style of teaching in this chapter, a three-part form of feedback used to affirm good behavior, then moves on to correction, and finally ends with encouragement. Paul started with do these things, then don't do these things, and finally keep doing these things. I think the illustration of eliminating profanity fits here as well. It may have started with don't do that, but it has to be supplemented by intentionality to do what's right, and eventually, through your mind being transformed by God, the heart changes. What's the why? Unity because arrogance and individuality will probably have a hard time making it into heaven. Amen? Paul is giving us a list of negatives to eliminate in this chapter, but if we focus on doing what's right, the point is the negatives will start to fall away. And without our eyes fixed on Jesus, then it's just all external behavior. It's a modification that won't last. It's just an outward change, not an inward change. Amen? So when it comes to being eager to maintain unity in the spirit, in the bond of peace, and conversations with people when we speak in love to others, our last phone is going to be the THINK acronym when it comes to loving course correction. So the T stands for truthful. Is it opinion or conjecture, or is it the truth? H, is it helpful? Is this something that's going to help this person? Do they need to hear this? I, is it inspiring? Is it just a list of negatives they, they need to stop doing, or is it something that inspires them? Is there a little bit of both? Sometimes there needs to be a little bit of both. An encouragement, a little bit of conviction, right? And is it necessary? Sometimes I think we go to somebody wanting to straighten them out. We're probably not that person. But if you have that agonizing can't sleep, God's working in your heart, I have to go speak to this person. I need to pray about this. I can do this lovingly you're probably the person. Amen? Can they receive it from you? I pray they can. And K, the last one is kind. Is it kind? Is it from a heart of compassion? Do you really truly want the best out of this conversation for 
loving correction, that they'll receive this out of love in your heart for them because you want the best for them. You want a win-win situation, right? Amen? Would you please stand with me and we'll pray? Lord, we come to you today grateful for your love and care for us, the gift of grace and the promise of eternal life. God, help us to continue striving for unity as you build your church. Give us a love for our neighbor that goes beyond the natural. Let us never forget the freedom we have in you and the freedom that have been brought, fought for us for, so that we can continue to worship you corporately. We praise you and we thank you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen. We'll have elders up here at the, at the altar if you'd like to come up and you are dismissed. Thank you.